Welcome to the Offer It, the Consciousness Transforming Podcast for Exceptional 21st Century Living. We have got a very interesting show today. We're going to be speaking with Russell A. Sturgis, and we're going to be talking about his book, The Spiritual Roots of the Tarot, The Cather Code Hidden in the Cards. But we're going to be talking deeper than that, if you will. We're going to cover uh, what I just mentioned, but we're also going to talk about metaphysical aspects of the pandemic and some other current events going on so that you get a full view of who Russell is because he's much more than um, this one particular book. So sit back, relax, take some notes. I know that you're going to be thrilled because I am so excited. I got tingles going on right now. Now the book, the information shared, um, excuse me, on Get Over It uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you shift your consciousness to break through blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you let go of the BS that is holding you back. But you guys know I always ask that question, are you truly ready to? And by the way, folks, BS is belief system. A bit about me for my new listeners, intuitive since birth. I'm a third generation intuitive with over three decades of experience supporting people to break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation, revealing cutting-edge information that enables you to prosper and thrive. I spent 25 successful years in corporate America as an executive sales professional, and I am the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network, a 501c3 nonprofit. I also authored two books. I provide consultations and healings in all areas of life that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your very best life. My clients tell me that I keep it real while providing them with accurate information to assist them along their journey as a spirit living a human existence. But they also say, if you really don't want to know, don't ask Monique. My background includes a doctorate in metaphysics, Reiki master teacher, ordained minister, and clinical hypnotherapist. So whether you are stressed, depressed, or possessed, I can help. To find out more about me and my services, go to my website, and that's MoniqueChapman.com, and I invite you to like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. <clears throat> my guest today, Russell Sturgis has been described as a thought leader in Western mindfulness, which he explains is remembering in each moment that you have a choice to be kind. From his teens, Russell had an innate understanding of the theology of love. Of his approach to his lay ministry in his 30s, it was said that he taught too much love. In the late 80s, Russell studied a attitudinal hearing, and that's based on a course in miracles with Dr. Jerry Jemblotsky, enriching his understanding of love and forgiveness. Today, he is the founder and principal of EAP Mentor, a personal awareness and minus mindfulness, I should say, um, mentoring program. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can find out more about him by visiting one of two sites. The first is westernmindfulness.com.au again westernmindfulness.com.au or you can go to eapmentor.com again that's eap as in paul mentor.com welcome russell hi hi lovely to be here 
Hey, it's so great to have you. And folks, in case you don't know, I'm in California. He's in Australia. It's way early his time, so I really appreciate him getting up so early to be with us and share his information. Now, Russell, the subtitle of your book is The Catholic Code Hidden in the Cards. And it applies that the uh, tarot cards have a more expanded role than just tarot meetings. Tell us about that. <clears throat> well, um, the emergence of the tarot cards from um, what we've been able to establish uh, is that they, they began to um, appear in northern Italy around the area of Milan during the 1400s uh, and um, were primarily uh, used as a card game um, and certainly... It, it's more esoteric in that that whole concept of reading cards didn't emerge until we get into the 18th century primarily. Um, mm -hmm. There might have been some cartomacy. So cartomacy was sort of the normal playing cards with the, the four suits and the the, um, um, the sort of a king and, and, and queen, etc., etc. And, mm -hmm. and they were being used. But uh, these... 22 picture cards were added in and um, and we ended up with what became known as the triumphi or the the triumph trump cards um, and and we we um, eventually had what became known as the the tarot taroki as they were called and mm -hmm. so um, so we've got this situation where um, the what most people understand tarot cards to be today um, certainly is a late uh, developments in the use of the cards and uh, what I propose is in fact that the um, earliest um, um, tarot cards um, were essentially what I call portable stained glass windows mm -hmm. um, so it was this whole idea that um, there was uh, a group of people who were called the, the Cathars who lived in, in uh, medieval Europe primarily around sort of the Languedoc region of southern France, so sort of Albi, uh, Carcassonne, Manborn, down in that sort of that south-central area of, of France. Um, <clears throat> they were aligned with a, a Gnostic form of Christianity. They didn't have churches, um, but nonetheless, um, as was the tradition in that day, churches were essentially... Um, I, I like to think of them as comic books in the sense that they had all these images all over the walls and on the floors and people could read the images just like we did as kids reading comic books to understand the narrative. And because these people didn't have churches, they still wanted to communicate the narrative. Now, Cathars themselves had nothing to do with tarot cards. They would have used manuscripts uh, there's a lot of evidence to show that they, um, a lot of um, early paintings and depictions of the Cathars show them with books. And we know that they were, um, there was an intelligentsia within the, the Cathars that, that uh, would have um, championed manuscripts and that's how they would have carried their knowledge, would, would have been within um, images within these manuscripts. But uh, okay. the, the Catholic Church... Um, basically got rid of the Cathars um, during the the um, 13th century and going into the 14th century and certainly by 1350 uh, the Cathar church as such was gone the, the church the Catholic Church had um, successfully got rid of them and I suspect what happened was people went underground at that point and um, cards had just come into Europe 
at that particular point in in the late um, 14th century and it became a beautiful synergy of these images that probably were in manuscripts being translated into these portable cards um, skip forward a couple of hundred years from from Italy and they re-emerge in France as a canonized set of images so by the time we get to the 1600s in France these images are now set in a sequence particularly mm -hmm. what we call the major arcana which are the 22 sort of um, trump cards or picture cards they've mm -hmm. now become canonized as a sequence and, and that becomes a standard sequence and they become known as the Marseille Tarot um, a little bit later on they're referred to as the Marseille Tarot yeah Wow, thank you. You know, it's interesting. You talk about um, the Catholics didn't like the Catholics because they, and they got mm. rid of them. When slave trade was, you know, going on in the United States, they brought the slaves to what we call the United States now, and they wouldn't let them practice their religion. So they hid it within the Catholic um, religion. Their their um, rituals and and their procedures. And it's interesting how to me anyway, how the Catholics, I guess they just wanted complete domination back then and maybe even today? Well, I think, I think back then um, these people were known as the, the, the good Christians or the good men and women and, and the Cathars, this is. And, and the reason they were called that was that they really aligned themselves with the gospel of love. These mm -hmm. people were really devoted to what would have perceived been the teachings that Jesus had originally prescribed once we get into sort of the 13 or into the um, um, 13th century um, the church is very involved in politics it's very involved in um, um, controlling money in Europe it's about um, it, so it's about property and wealth and power and so it's lost all of its core uh, mandate which was a theology of love and so these people turn up who are, uh, are really attracting a lot of interest by particularly in southern France with the nobles they really like these people because they're they're, they're honest they're hard-working um, they're neighborly they, they espouse all of the, the core original teachings of Christianity whereas the church had gone to another you know different place you've got um, they're, they're about you know tithes and offerings which are essentially was about taxing people and you've, you've got you know sort of the clergy that uh, have excesses around sex drugs and rock and roll so as to speak you know they're, right. they're into going to the excesses and so they're embarrassing the church and and southern France had sort of been left alone by the the, the church and it couldn't do it anymore uh, they sent in the Dominicans and the Franciscans to try and sort of talk these people around to becoming um, aligned with the church and that failed and then in 1209 Innocent III he commissioned the Albigensian Crusade and so what you had was northern French um, nobles and, and their armies came down into the south and they basically systematically um, under the direction of the church went through city by city and wiped out um, thousands of these people um, okay. through all this um, region of southern France um, in an attempt to get rid of what was showing them up um, so um, so the getting rid of the Cathars was about um, um, allowing them to continue to be involved in material values whereas um, what we saw the Cathars fully 
committed to was spiritual values, sustainable values. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, based on, you know, reading in your book, it seems as if the captives were truly embracing equality. I mean, women were the same as men when it came to religion and other aspects. Could you expand more on that? Yeah, well, it, it, one of the I think one of the really lovely things is that if you look at the um, the 22 um, major arcana, which is what I'm focusing on in my book, mm-hmm. um, of those 22 images, 12 of them have either women or symbolic um, um, images that are related to women in half of those cards. Um, and so when you think of the period um, that these cards are coming from, to think that women have an equal standing, they even have a popess in there. Um, there's a pope and there's a popess. I mean, this is unprecedented as a concept. Now, my book goes into the history of why there's a popess there. But, but so, so, um, so here was a, a religion that saw women as being um, equal, essentially. Now, one of the things about the Gnostics and, and in particular sort of the, 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 the groups of religions that were similar to Cathars, and there were more than Cathars that sort of had this, this approach, this Gnostic Christian approach. Some of them were much more um, accepting and, and treated women as equals, and some of the others um, were, were less so, um, but certainly not as severely as what was being demonstrated by the Catholic Church at the time. But um, the Cathars themselves seemed to be much more um, accepting and integrating of women as being equals. And so their perfecti, who were their, essentially their priests and, um, and, and, and priestesses, um, they were men and women and they had equal standing and, and were treated uh, with equal reverence uh, within the organization, within the church. Mm. Wow, novel concept, equality, <laughs> something we're still yeah. struggling with today, you know, it just kind of... I always wondered, hmm? I always wondered what would, I always wondered what would have happened if, if um, uh, the, the Cathars had have taken off instead of Catholicism in terms of what would have happened in the world um, where, wow. where they were promoting these ideas of equality. Um, you know, back in the 1300s and, and in the 1200s. I mean, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling to even uh, begin to wonder. Yeah, but you know, when you say that, the one thing I know for sure, Donald Trump would have never been president in the United States because um, the United <laughs> just wouldn't have supported it. But, you know, it, it's amazing how... Um, you can go back to history and see how things went either left or right if you're truly paying attention, not just reading it, if you're, you know, really immersed in it and how uh, history has kind of, <clears throat> not kind of predicted what's going on today. But in your book, um, The Spiritual Roots of the Tarot, um, what is the Cather Code? Essentially, the Cathar Code is the Beatitudes from the Sermon of the Mount. So in other words, the, the Cathars themselves um, um, basically subscribe to only a few scriptures actually being core teachings. The Sermon on the Mount, um, the first 17 chapters of John, some of Revelation, um, and, and just some other scriptures. But predominantly they were very, very oriented towards the Sermon on the Mount. And if any of you are familiar with that, there's, um, it starts with a series of statements that are called the Beatitudes, and you'll know them as blessed are the poor in spirit, for mm-hmm. theirs is the kingdom of heaven, blessed are those that mourn, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the things that my book does that's never been done before is shows the direct relationship between some of these cards 
and and the the beatitudes so in other words these cards were basically depicting the deeper meaning of these eight statements now i like to think of the beatitudes as the sort of the the christian equivalent to buddha's eightfold path to enlightenment um this is christianity's eightfold path um to the kingdom of heaven um these eight statements uh were were um, very clearly stated and they have a very um, specific deep meaning about how to make the transition from the world of illusion as they would have seen it they called it the world of the evil god um, which is the material world to the kingdom of heaven and you basically had to follow these eight steps um, in order to um, make your way into the kingdom of heaven mm-hmm. so that is effectively their code was was the the, the beatitudes um, and they communicated their deep meaning through using symbology in these in these pictures. Mm. Mm. Very very interesting, folks. We're speaking with Rush, Russell A. Sturgis. His book is the Spiritual Roots of the Tarot: The Cather Code Hidden in the Cards. You can check him out at his website, and that is WesternMindfulness.com.au or eapmentor.com. Um, Russell, in the book, you talk about two gatekeepers placed at the eastern gate of the Garden of Eden in the story that's known as Adam and Eve's um, little story. But if you go to church, and I'm not churchy, so I might have missed it. <laughs> okay, so, so, so bear with me a moment. But if you go to church, you don't hear sermons about this. Why not? Or am I just like, out to lunch and miss the boat, and that's highly possible. <laughs> no, look, when you, when you think about it, you know, in that in that Adam and Eve story, the um, the kingdom of heaven, which is where they all start out, is a place of uh, essentially undifferentiated consciousness. Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, and um, which is about the idea of duality. And at this point, there's differentiation they're different to God. And God says, well, you can't stay in this place because this is a place of undifferentiation. You guys have bought into the belief that there's um, something that isn't God, so you've got to leave the garden. And, and as they're leaving, he says, now I'm going to put a test here. You guys can come back, but you've got to pass the test. And at the eastern gate, he puts cherubim and a flaming sword. Now, um, you know, you don't hear a lot of sermons about the cherubim and the flaming sword at the eastern gate and what those tests are. The Cathar understood those things intimately and integrated them into their cards as part of sort of saying, you've got to be able to pass these tests. Mm -hmm. So what they were was the flaming sword test was the test of Abraham. And this is where Abraham's told to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. Now, that seems like a really bizarre thing to do. But one of the things that we find through many ancient cultures was this tradition of the father or the king having to execute a son or daughter as part of the ritual of um, um, proving their higher state of consciousness. And, and, and so this is what God that says to Abraham. He says, I want you to go and sacrifice Abraham, essentially to prove that you love me more than you do Abraham. Mm-hmm. Now, what's really interesting about the Abraham story is that Abraham was, was basically kicked out of the... The, the country of, of his birth by the king and his father, well, he escaped so that he wasn't going to be executed. So he had this damaged relationship with his father. Now, you know, this is very modern psychology stuff because what happens is he then, he actually encourages his nephew, Lot, to go with him. 
And, and we see this ongoing narrative for Abraham about having young men with him. So he's got Lot. Uh, he ends up having Ishmael to the concubine of his wife because he's wanting to have a son. And he keeps on having this conversation with God saying, you know, you keep promising me a son and it doesn't happen. And of course, if you know the story, there are a hundred now, Sarah and, and, and Abraham, and they eventually have Isaac in their hundreds. It's mm-hmm. sort of like, wow, God's really testing their patience. Mm-hmm. And, and so Abraham's got this narrative around the abandoned child. And so he's really got this very deep connection or desire now we each have a narrative from our own childhood that we carry through that becomes the basis of our decision making and in fact establishes values that are oriented um, to the material world in terms of wealth power love success and those types of things and Mm -hmm. this narrative is the thing that gets in the way of aligning with spiritual values it's funny, when I, I, I woke early this morning and I, I was watching a 60 Minutes, American 60 Minutes, we have one in Australia, but American 60 Minutes interview with, um, um, I've just had a, a mental blank, the guy that founded Microsoft, um, Bill Gates. Gates, yeah. And, his book, yeah. and he's talking about the need for the world to become much more environmentally aware. And, and, and he's looking at all these solutions in terms of all the, the things that they can do out in the world. And I get this real sense that the things that's missing is the real solution, which is the um, alignment with sustainable values that could happen within each of us based on, and, and you, you, you stated earlier what my definition of mindfulness is, um, our concept of Western mindfulness is remembering in each moment to be kind to yourself, to others, and to the planet. You see, if we had people shift their core set of values to sustainable spiritual values, they will be much more conscious about consumerism, the way in which they relate to animals, and, and the way in which they treat the planet. And and people will be motivated by love to turn up in the world and change their behavior instead of trying to do it all from the other end. I think we've actually, excuse the French, we've got an ask about face in terms of this whole idea that, that we're trying to fix things outside of us when in fact the real shift in terms of sustainable change has to be within. And the narrative, okay, is the thing that we have that stops us from doing it. So let me just, if you can indulge me for a minute, my oh, narrative sure. that, 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 that I, I developed in, as a result of my upbringing was that in order to justify being different, I was always a bit different. I was raised a Mormon. So in Australia, oh. that was pretty different. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and, you know, well, you know, I, I, I'm not sure about, I'm sure it was in America, but in Australia, you know, most of my mates in high school played football and drank beer, which I guess they do a lot of in America too. And I just didn't okay. fit into that culture. I was raised in a household that was raised on naturopathic principles. And so, you know, I went to school with homemade bread with sliced carrot, uh, sliced apple and grated carrot and cheese and sultanas, and those were my sandwiches. So I've always been an odd bod. And mm-hmm. so I grew up with this story about being different. <clears throat> and so um, I saw myself as not fitting in. And in order to justify uh, or to deal with that, I worked hard at earning the respect of others. So... In everything that I've done, um, and I think of myself as a para-academic, everything that I've done, I've worked hard to, to really sort of have people go, 
this guy's a bit weird, but by God, he knows his stuff or we really, he, he works hard. You know, I, my back, I was trained in natural therapies and osteopathy, um, which in Australia is a bit different to the States because they're more of a, a doctor in the, the States than they are here. We're more like a chiropractor. <clears throat> uh-huh. And um, I lived in a country town of 10,000 people and I had 5,500 clients on record. And wow. um, was treating... I was treating over 125 people a week, which in a rural country town in, in rural Queensland where I live is, is really um, sort of bizarre. But I worked hard at excelling so that I could earn the respect of people. And so my whole life see, has seen me driven to succeed and, and to earn respect. The consequence of that, though, in the end was I became incredibly overweight, um, depression, bankruptcy, um, I went to Helen back as a result of being driven by my narrative. And, and, um, um, but, you know, part of the, the philosophy that the Cathars were teaching is, in fact, that narrative is the gift we gave ourselves to serve mm-hmm. humanity. And so now I put my seven-year-old up, up on a pedestal and I go, you little ripper. Yes, you <laughs> caused me a lot of suffering along the way. But what you gave me was a whole lot of tools to make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm no longer driven by ego and, and, and well, less driven by ego, let's, you know, I'm not going to fool myself that, that there's still not some there, but less driven by ego, I turn up in the world and I can use all of these gifts that my story gave me to serve humanity. And it's a very different. And the difference is before I was driven about having other people respect me and there was no sense of self-love in it. The difference now is that I'm able to balance this sense of self-love with the love of others in, in what I do. And so I can say no or to, to um, people's demands. I can be more um, balanced in how I function in my serving. And really that's what the, the Beatitudes and what, and, and what this book is saying is that if, in taking on spiritual values and sustainable values, it becomes an act of self-love. And, and in that place of being more self-loving, you can be more measured in the way in which you serve and serve the planet. Um, you know, there was a um, story, a movie a long time ago here in the States called, I think it was Love Story, and the basic premise was love means um, never having to say you're sorry. And based on what you said, self-love is the ability to say no, to set those boundaries. Absolutely, and and it is actually about also being able to say sorry without shame or without guilt um, because you recognize that any behavior that you've made in terms of what you've been doing um, is a direct result of your narrative. And what happens is, and I'm I'm in a relationship with with a a beautiful um, woman who shares the same philosophical base. And, you know, if we get to a point of, you know, sort of where where we seeing differently or we, we, you know, our, our buttons have been pushed, we're in our narrative, in our story, Generally, if you're not in peace, you're in your story, is, is, is what mm-hmm. we say. And, and if you're in that moment of, of feeling that tension in the relationship, you go, hang on a second. Um, hey, I just need to, I'm sorry that I've spoken that way. Obviously, I'm in my narrative. And can you just bear with me a minute while I just step back? Or maybe you can see something that I'm not seeing to help me understand why I'm choosing to disturb our peace by virtue of having this, this attitude. And it completely changes the whole nature of the relationship 
because we take responsibility for feeling, uh, for, 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 for interrupting our inner peace by virtue of the fact that it's our narrative that sits behind that. Something, a, a form of our narrative is, is emerging in that moment that's taking us out of our stillness and out of our peace. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, in your book, you, have, you devote a whole chapter, and this whole chapter is called The Dark Night of the Soul. And you talk mm -hmm. about it in relation to the tarot, like the hangman card, and um, mm -hmm. I think the card that has no name, that's called the death card. And you also weave that into one of the blogs that's on your uh, mind awareness and mindfulness uh, website where you talk about your mama. So uh, share with the audience about the dark night of the soul, the meaning, and then eventually, you know, and take your time, please, work your way around to the blog and um, what your mother's going through and even COVID-19. Okay. So, um, so the dark night of the soul um, is is what really the, is the beginning of of the Cathar code. So in other words, what they're saying is, as you go through the journey of life, um, you come to a crossroads, um, and and we come to a crossroads because three things have interfered in our happy-go-lucky life of wealth, power, love, and fame and success, you know. So we're going along and we're focused on accumulating all these things and having all these experiences, and then natural justice turns up. And natural justice says, um, you know, I lived in Italy for a while, and this is a lovely example, and there's a, there's a, a pastry there that they call a boomba. And, mm -hmm. and, I, I, and I hope I've got this right and I don't want to offend anyone um, um, who's Italian, but my understanding is the word bumba means big bottom. Mm. And basically it says, if you eat this pastry, you're going to have a big bottom. You know, that, that's natural justice. So there's this whole thing that happens that if you keep on eating too many refined carbohydrates and, 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 and having a poor diet and, and, you know, too much stress, what have you, there's a very big chance you're going to have diabetes type uh -huh. 2 diabetes you know uh -huh. nobody's standing there punishing you it's natural justice and so uh -huh. one of the cards they have is is justice you're going to experience justice the next card is called um, um, the hermit or it was called the old tempo in some of the early ones which is time and it's an old man with a lantern and he's walking backwards and um, uh, some of the uh, um, philosophers at that time sort of were referring to the idea of life as being the beginning of day is, oh. is the morning and, and the end of day is old age. And so here we have this hermit who's walking with a lantern moving towards the end of day and basically they're saying, you know, uh, eventually age is going to catch up with you. And we'll come back to that with regards to my mum in a minute. But, mm -hmm. but the hermit's basically saying, you, you, you're going to have to deal with the issues of old age. You can do everything that you want to try and circumvent that. And you think of the millions of dollars that are spent in the world with people trying to stay young, you know, mm -hmm. and trying to avoid the impact of old age. And, and basically they're saying, you can't stop this. It's going to happen. Then the third card that, that disturbs our, our perfect world is the Wheel of Fortune. And, you know, look, we've just had a perfect example of it. Beginning of 2020, COVID-19 hit the world. Uh -huh. Wheel of Fortune. People's fortunes have been turned on their head. How interesting that they use a wheel where people are being turned upside down. You know, it's a perfect example uh -huh. of, of what goes on here. <clears throat> now, 
Once the wheel turns and these other things have taken place, you're at a crossroad. In other words, you're at a place where you've got to decide which way you're going to go. And, and based on the way in which the Cathars understood these cards, they said you can go one of four ways. You can stay where you are. Now, in the modern world, staying where we are is um, um, antidepressants. Um, it's drugs, oh. addiction. Um, it could even be getting caught up in the new age stuff or, mm -hmm. you know, sort of subscribing to a belief system where, but we don't move anywhere. We just, we just stay there and, 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 and we, we don't move forward. We don't move backwards, although, you know, we are moving backwards essentially. The other thing we can do is have a midlife crisis and try and recreate it all again. So we start again. Only we move along a little bit. We're not born again at this point, but we start again and we get the sports car and the new girlfriend and live in a trendy <laughs> suburb, et cetera, et cetera. And we mm -hmm. try to recreate the illusion again. Only to, the thing is about anything to do with the illusion will always invite justice, time and chance. They're always going to keep turning up until you cross over. Now, the other option um, based on the way these cards were is the, um, is, is the judgment card where you see a body coming out of a grave and, and that's about suicide. So in other words, people take that as an option. That's option three. Option four is the dark night of the soul. Now, they were clever because they had a billboard at the entrance to the dark night of the soul and that card is called strength. And we see a refined woman standing, holding open the mouth of a lion. And mm -hmm. basically, they were saying, if you're going to go down this route, this is the sort of courage you're going to need. This is what, this, she's not Hercules holding open the mouth of the lion. This is a woman who has mm -hmm. to muster a strength and a courage to hold open the mouth of the lion. And they're saying this is the dark night of the soul is going to require that. And the very next card is a hanged man. And in the, in the early Marseille, he's hanging off a frame that is essentially made of branches of the tree. And the tree, the branches have been... Um, um, cut off basically they, they, there's been a um, pruning of the branches and that's what happens and of course the first beatitude in the Sermon on the Mount is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven so what's happened is our spirit has been broken our spirit around accumulating um, material values has mm -hmm. been broken and now we're in this place where we move into um, the fact that these things are no longer sustainable, they don't support us anymore, and, and, and now we go through the process of becoming non-attached to those things. And it's not that we don't have them, but it's the fact that we actually develop a non-attachment. And so the next card is blessed that those that mourn. I have a really lovely distinction between grieving and mourning. Grieving is when we're still attached to what we've lost and we can't uh -huh. let go of the attachment. Mourning is when we can look back and we're no longer attached to it. We're still suffering the experience of, of loss, but we're, we're, we've, we've let it go. And what happens is in many of the cards, the, the, um, this shows a skeleton with the scythe, and in the ground is the head of the king and the prince, which is about power and success. There's a hand that holds the shape of the pope, which is about um, wealth as, as it's related to how these guys saw it. And then there's a sort of a delicate hand, which is about love. So wealth, power, love and fame are the things that distract us from a, a really profound relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is 
the 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 um, the card of of showing this skeleton is looking in some cards he's looking back so he could be looking back at where he's been in other cards he's looking forward as if to say I am no longer attached to the past now I can move forward and and so we have to be able to go through this process of detaching from the worldly values and that's where the really difficult courageous part of this is um, because only through that are we then available for the next card which is um, um, temperance and that's related to um, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth you know the, uh -huh. the, the word uh, the word earth shares the same root as the word humus and and the word humble comes from the word humus and so we're teachable at this point and this is where we begin learning about the works of mercy you know the back in the medieval period they talked about the works of mercy and there was social justice and 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 then there was forgiveness you know as as works of mercy so <clears throat> so that's the dark night of the soul journey now if you don't do it consciously while you're young and vibrant and able and many of us don't because we don't know any different Mm -hmm. um, we get to this point of old age and I tell the story about um, um, my mum and um, she's 90 and she's in a situation where she can't live in her own home anymore and she's going, having to go into a aged care home. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, as many of you know, there's a paring down of, of possessions. You, mm -hmm. You're going through this process of having to let go of a whole lot of things. Now the interesting thing, and you know, about what we've experienced in COVID, and I have to say to you, I live in a very blessed state in Australia. We've had, um, I think, we've had um, maybe half a dozen people in my state die from COVID. And really? We live, yeah, and we live just about a normal life at the moment in terms of everything's wow. open we and we have been for a long time for we we're, we're in a very unusual given what's happening in the world we're in a very unusual place but i you know australia is an island and and so you know we're, we're cut off from a whole lot of other stuff as a result of our our geographic positioning but what's happened in the rest of the world is everyone's got to experience what old people experience by virtue of the fact that they've cut their freedom is cut down their access to consumerism is cut down um and, and so a whole lot of stuff that people experience in old age, everyone's getting to experience. They can't just drive anywhere. And of course, you can see the impact that that's having in terms of mental health and the things that are going on for people. So our old people are dealing with that all the time. And what I'm saying is that they are being basically forced into a dark night of the soul journey. And that's really what's happened this year. Um, and really what a dark night of the soul is, is about changing values being forced to change values up until now you know we've valued consumerism we've valued power and wealth we've valued um love and and by love you know i'm talking about um you know they they they, they talk about four different types of love there's there's eros which is romantic love there's um philia which is empathy compassion and there's um, um, storage which is affection these are all mm -hmm. the different loves and then there's agape which is divine love and and we, we tend to avoid those things while we're caught up in these other values and of course success you know every, it, it, we're all driven about having to be successful and mm -hmm. all of a sudden those things are taken away those values are no longer there 
you know, in COVID, there's not a lot of space to exercise those values. And so now it's about aligning with a new set of values that have nothing to do with what the world sees as important. And these are things like, you know, and, and Paul talks about them in Galatians, it's about love, joy, peace, um, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Um, um, it's about temperance. It's about humility. I mean, these are a whole different set of values that, that people get to live by. And so mm-hmm. what happens is people are put in a position where in old age, they have the opportunity to align themselves with sustainable values. And what's required, and I talk about this in this blog, is a rite of passage. I think that we could be doing a lot more to help make it easier for our elderly people to make the transition, which they're being forced to do from this material world. And in these last few years, imagine if we could support them in becoming more aligned with sustainable values where love, peace and joy became the thing that they really centred on and turned up in the world with um, as they moved forward. You know, um, my dear mum is in hospital at the moment. The reason I'm actually not at home, I'm in her hometown and mm-hmm. uh, she, has, she has diabetic ulcers um, mm-hmm. in her feet. Um, and, um, and I go to the hospital each day and I spend time my, doing my healing art along with the beautiful work that the doctors are doing and, mm-hmm. and, and she's about to be released out of hospital, which is a wonderful Congratulations. thing. Congratulations, yes. Thank you. Yes. But one of the things that I said to her was that in moving forward, you need a vision of what your life would look like. And I asked her a very important question while we were in hospital. Um, I said, Mum, what would your life look like if you had two healthy legs now? If both of your legs healed and you had two healthy feet and your legs were healthy, what would you be doing differently to what you did before? Because what you did before will just keep on resulting in the same outcome. If you always Mm -hmm. do what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. So what are you going to do differently? And she struggled to imagine what her life could look like differently. And so one of the things that we talked about is, is creating a vision board for her about what her life would look like, how she could be turning up in the world differently. And of course, that's going to be about service. And it's about finding ways that they can serve given the constraints and the limitations. So I said, you know, what could you do to serve the community and the age community that you're going into? How could you be better serving to those people? What could you do to be better serving to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren in terms of maybe talking to them and sharing your knowledge and your wisdom? You know, we started to play with the idea of, of what life could look like based on sustainable values as opposed to still being caught up. And one of the other questions um, which you would have read in, 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 in the original blog, she asked, when I leave my home, who will I be then? Mm. When I let go of the things that have defined me all of these years and I don't have them anymore, who will I be then? And, and really what we're talking about here, and this is true of all of us, and that is the scary question. If I let go of what the world defines as important, who will I be then? Because we can't imagine a life that is based on love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness. But do you know what? I dream of that. I dream of a world um, where everyone or the majority of the world turns up with love mm-hmm. and joy and peace and kindness as the things that they value most and that they relate to themselves, to each other and to the planet. Can you imagine how different our world would be if that was the basis of how we turned up? Well, we wouldn't be going through 
as a world is what we're going through now with the pandemic possibly you know it might be something that we're dealing with but not something so harsh and what I find so interesting uh, Russell is that you know you talk about people you're going through something and you can make a change you know positive change or whatever here um, and I'm just going to go with my city here in the United States you know there are people who who don't want to wear the masks they don't want to get the vaccine they're anti everything they don't want to do anything to improve themselves they don't want to support people who want to try to help them improve but then they bitch about you know the way that things are how do we get past that in your mindfulness training, how do we get past that? I mean, you, you know, people, it's like, wake up. You almost want to slap them. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I wrote an article, um, and I don't know if you saw that one, um, that was called Did um, Greta Thunberg Call Yeah, I'll okay, ask you about that next, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and it's based on the idea of, of the hundredth monkey or the critical mass. And... and um, in that article, I sort of proposed the idea that, that Greta woke the world up to the need for there to be a change. Um, unfortunately, it was very strongly fear-driven. And, and so I sort of proposed the idea that the pandemic was a, a critical mass. And this is a young lady that reached a critical mass in terms mm -hmm. of saying we need to do something different. But the critical mass was driven by fear. And, and that isn't sustainable. And, and my, my thesis was that the pandemic is, is the reaction or the response to a fear-based change. What we need is enough people um, stepping up and starting to um, be more vocal. And, well, it's not even being vocal. It's about living kindness. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's one of the really important cards is the, the moon card. And the moon card is the point at which somebody has become so aligned with love consciousness that they've adopted Christ consciousness. You know, the moon card has a pond with a crustacean in it. It's a crab or a lobster. Mm -hmm. And then there's a couple of dogs and then there's a moon and there's a city. And, and, and the, the cancer as an astrological uh, symbol has a cluster of stars in the center which are called the cribble manger. And literally that card represents the birth of Christ consciousness. So in other words, you've aligned yourself with the works of mercy so much in terms of living a life where you, you live with forgiveness and understanding, um, you live with mercy, social justice, in terms of helping those in need, that you're so immersed in all of that that now you, you really align with Christ consciousness. And that's the birthing of that. And, and what that looks like is this city that is set on the hill and, and, and the moon. And there's a great scripture that says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Um, and it's, it's like, um, be a light to the world like a city on a hill. You can't light a candle and hide under a bushel. We need more people who understand these principles to really start to be more out there and showing that in terms of how they're turning up. And we need the media and people to start giving a voice to this. You know, unfortunately, the media thrives on controversy and scandal and, mm -hmm. and all of the negative stuff. And I really believe that where we need the shift is in the media starting to focus on a love-centered consciousness as an alternative and really starting to highlight that. But it seems that that doesn't sell as many papers. Um, the reason being is that for most of us, we need to know that the pain that's out there 
um, is worse than the pain that we're experiencing within. So we justify staying in our pain because we read the suffering of others and that takes away from our own pain. We need, we need media to have the courage to stand up and to start to promote more and more the, the, the sustainable values of love, peace and, and joy. And, and, my, and when enough people are doing that, we create a critical mass that then starts to affect other people. And that's what's happened um, with the, the, the environmental stuff. We, we can see it happening, but we need it to be more love-based and, and less fear-based, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And if it's more love-based, I mean, the energy of love just changes everything, um, no matter how you focus on it. Um, boy, our time has gone so quickly, but I do want to ask you a couple of, uh, more things. Yeah. Um, you, I, I want to get back to Tarot for a moment, and then the second question won't be Tarot. But um, you use the Tarot cards in your daily life, and if so, how? So um, I have a, a daily um, meditation practice um, mm -hmm. where I get up early each morning, and I have um, the, the cards that relate to the Beatitudes are sort of set up. I have my own little office space that is dedicated as a... Um, um, as a meditation space and, and I have these cards there and each morning I, I take time to contemplate each of the Beatitudes as it relates to these images and, and, and I use my meditation as, as essentially my life mantra and it sets me up to remind me that um, today I have a choice um, to apply these principles in, in each moment and, and so by having this daily practice it's, it's a way that I'm being reminded every, every single day that these are the things that I stand up for. These are the things that I want to integrate into my experience. And, you know, and, and, and what happens for me in a very personal way is when I have a moment where I feel being discombobulated, and, and I was just going to share this a moment ago, if mm -hmm. you get a moment where you become angry at, at what's happening in politics or what's happening in terms of people, and how they're dealing with their pandemic. If you're getting frustrated by that, turn it around. Take a moment to say, instead of becoming losing my peace, and this is what's really important here, I can sustain my peace. And if we have enough people doing it, then we have the knock-on effect. If I, I can sustain my peace by um, applying these values of forgiveness and understanding and, you know, when I see somebody doing something stupid, saying, what could this person tell me that would help me understand why they are the way they are? Now, it isn't about condoning their behavior, but it's about mm -hmm. putting the energy that we have into somebody's negative behavior. Instead of getting upset, don't lose your peace. Understand that they're caught up in their narrative. Whatever their story is from their seven-year-old, um, they're still being run by the seven-year-old. And so you hold them in the loving space. And I would even suggest what you do is imagine that person as a seven-year-old and sit him on your lap or her on your lap and just hug them and hold them in the loving space. And that will do more to shift the consciousness than you getting angry or upset. Because um, you stay in your peace and you extend the invitation for them to have a taste of that. Even if they're not aware of it, by virtue of you doing that, you're spreading the love. Okay. And um, you also work with numerology and you provide uh, consultations. Tell us about that. Well, uh, numerology is a, um, a way of being able to get a sense of, of who people are um, by virtue of uh, numbers. 
numbers um, have a quality about them as well as a quantity. So most of us are used to qualitative mathematics. This is qualitative. And so um, over many, many years, and, and it supposedly goes right back to the Pythagorean mystery schools, um, there was a system developed where numbers were used to help people understand different aspects. And so um, I sort of look at three core aspects, and, and, and that is energetically who you are by virtue of your numbers and, and that looks at what your passion is and 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 um, what your personality is and, and and what your story is and what you're here to learn we're able to look at those things we're able to look at um, the vibration of the year that you're in um, in terms of um, we go through a nine-year cycle and so you, you've got these vibrations that, that manifest each year and then you've got sort of chapters to a book you know the, the, the book of life we see we see the Popes holding a book in a lap and, and so we're able to sort of look at the chapters of your life and get an idea of what those things are it's really like a human weather forecast basically where you know you get an idea of what the influences are it, it's kind of crazy to be wearing you know gumboots and, and, and an umbrella and a rain jacket in a sunny day. And so what numerology does is tells you how to um, step back and look at what's going on and how to be better prepared to engage the experience mm -hmm. of life having that, that understanding. Yeah. Okay. And then you also have the website um, eapmentor.com. What type of work do you do there and how can people connect with you? Okay, so um, EAP stands for Enhances Awareness Program. And what we do is we work with people one-on-one -on -one over a 12-month to two-year period to teach them how to, through mentoring, how to adopt mindfulness as a way of life. And um, it's a five-step um, process. We call it CASM is the acronym. C stands for identifying your current reality. We have a really lovely methodology for having you really explore who you are physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually in terms of awareness. We look at the, the narrative, what gets you there, what has caused you to be in that place, the, the, which is about being honoring. That's the H, you know, the honoring self. We then go into A, which is about the alternate reality. What would life look like if it was expressed with more love and peace? Um, S is what's the strategy that I would have to do? And then M is, is mindfulness. And our, our thing about mindfulness is, you know, when you're in that place where you have a choice between choosing love or fear, um, stop and remember that you do have a loving alternative. And then we say, and this is what's really different to our work and a lot of other work, follow the path of least resistance. And if the path of least resistance is to still act fearfully, then do it as long as you've stopped and considered that there was a choice. What we know about neuroscience is every time we stop and consider an alternative, we're building a neural program for that. And what we have found in the 10 years we've been doing this work is that there's a tipping point where people practice that moment of stopping and considering the loving choice. That neural pathway becomes so established that there's a tipping point where people go, today, I'm not going to follow the fearful choice. I'm actually going to go down this route instead. And, and people naturally, and if it's natural, it's sustainable. If you use force and will, oftentimes it's just not sustainable. And of course, millions of people who have gone on diets have proven that using will and discipline doesn't necessarily mean you succeed <laughs> losing weight. 
No, it doesn't. And interesting you bring up the tipping point because I had one yesterday around hell, but, you know, being older, I have a few issues. And I was struggling and fighting and everything else. And then yesterday, it's like this epiphany just came over me. And I was told what to do, how to do, guided, if you will, and um, by guidance. And, you know, my energy field shifted. It was like amazing. It was like I lost, I don't know, 400 pounds, and I'm not that big, but it's like I lost 400 <laughs> pounds overnight, you know. Um, yep. Those are energetic pounds, people. But it does make a difference, and I came to this awareness, um, I think, based on just reading and doing everything that I normally do, but then being silent and then doing some work on myself and the meditation, and it, you know, you get it. It will come to you at the right time. So, um, Russell, I truly feel that your work is spot on. Now, we're completely out of time, but tell me, tell our audience uh, a pearl of wisdom that you can share with us um, so that we can take that pearl and move on forward with life. Look, I, I think that the ultimate pearl, is, and it's what I live my life, is in each moment, um, we, we, we have another acronym called SILO. This is going to be real quick. This is uh-huh. SILO, S-I-L-O. S stands for stop. In each moment when you're presented with challenges or situations, stop is the S. I, what's going to be the impact if I do what I've always done? Uh-huh. You know what that's going to be because you've experienced. What would be the impact if, if, if maybe I made a different choice? And so that's I. What's the impact? L is what's the loving alternative in this moment? Uh-huh. And then O is um, that the option, and that is don't use will or discipline to choose um, a, a new um, direction. Just take the easiest option, given that you've stopped, consider the impact, and consider the alternative, the loving alternative, then follow the path of least resistance, which is the easy option. Um, the easy option, and you gave it just, I, your example was so beautiful of what happens, and it does happen. I'm so glad that you could relate your experience, is that there is a tipping point. And if you mm-hmm. practice silo enough, you will create a tipping point, and what you experienced yesterday is what happens. Yeah, and folks, I didn't, you know, I wasn't consciously trying to create anything. It came to me, and it came at the right time, in the right place, while I was watching the NASCAR race. Hey, you never know. (laughs) You never know. But pay attention and, and, you know, pay attention to what's going on in your life. Russell, I have enjoyed our time together immensely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Thank you. I've loved uh, the opportunity to share with you. Thank you. And to the audience, we appreciate your time and attention. And I want you guys to remember that the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of love. Abundant blessings, light and love to all. Agape.